This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a football Friday. I'm Chandro Tar. Sandy Clough is on my left. It's Sandy and Sean. We're in a uh, a very interesting time for the Denver Broncos. Danny Bailey's in the booth, by the way, of course, uh, as always, because Danny Bailey's not in the booth. We're is not that on, interesting? We're not on at all. You know. It's not interesting to me because he's always there. Well, we aren't always here, consi- but he is always consistency there. Consistency is important, though. I mean, consistency is a well, part of, of greatness. Of course, that's that's I mean, why I refer to yeah. him as the great Danny. Yeah, absolutely, uh, you know, you can take that for granted. Availability sometimes. is a skill. It and is. is always available. Absolutely. And so, uh, Danny Bailey here, of course, making uh, everything work with that uh, pretty sick new Denver Stiffs shirt. Staying on brand, always either Nuggets or Buffs. Right. Good news for the Buffaloes today. Jordan Seaton, the top tackle in the country. That's the big news item of the afternoon. Yeah, does sign uh, in the last few minutes, quite frankly, confirmed yep. that he... I was uh, checking it all afternoon. Yep, me too. And he does sign now And he now literally, with the, uh, when Buffaloes. I got in my car, right. about 10 minutes the ago, The time we're commuting signed. over, then yeah. he signs. But uh, he does sign. We'll have an opportunity to talk about the Broncos and the Buffaloes with former Buffalo tight end and now CBS News Colorado anchor Justin Adams in just about an hour. But we start with the Denver Broncos, of course, whose playoff season begins now. Every game at this point is essentially an elimination game for the Broncos. Uh, Even if they were to win out with 10 games, it's looking, quite frankly, like it's a coin toss whether they make the playoffs or not. But lose one of the next three, and you can forget it. it, it. it. Yes, and uh, we'll we'll go over this with in some of the key games because I, I I loved what ESPN.com did today. They do their weekly preview every Friday. They break down all the games, and this week, for every game, and just about every game is relevant to someone's playoff chances and or chances to win the division and or chances to emerge as the number one seed, okay? So everybody, even teams who have clinched, with the exception of the 49ers, who have won the division and secured a playoff spot, everybody's going for something. Now, even the 49ers have not yet clinched the number one seed, though. So even for the 49ers... Their game, which was going to be attractive anyway, the Monday nighter with Baltimore out in Santa Clara. Yeah. That was going to be important anyway. Yeah, but yeah. It's arguably more important for the Ravens than it is for the 49ers. But that's one that legitimately still, can say Super Bowl preview potentially. Yeah, that's oh, one of the absolutely. few that ab- absolutely, but in fact, it, maybe the likeliest. still gives the 49ers that opportunity to um, secure their position. Now, they're in great position. They are 11-3. and three. 
Dallas is 10 and 4, 49ers have the tiebreaker. Philly is 10 and 4, 49ers have the head to head tiebreaker. You know how we talk about Miami hasn't really beaten a particularly good team this year? Probably based on current records, oh. the best team they've beaten is Denver. The funny thing is, you're not really wrong when you say that. When you look at the strength of victory yeah. around the league, which is, I think, a great way of kind of looking at this stage. Early in the year, it's not as useful. But at this stage in the discussion, it certainly is. And you you look at the strength of victory. Same thing with Dallas, by the way. Dallas and, and, and Miami are the two worst when you look at teams that uh, have, you know, really solid playoff position. Miami is their strength of victory. So the teams they've beaten when you're talking about the, the lineup, it is 321. The teams that haven't even won a third of their games on right. average. Denver right. won 500, and Dallas is slightly better at 383. But uh, when, when you start saying, hey, nope, these guys haven't played anybody, well, it's not entirely wrong. No, no. And, you know, teams, it, it's not like. Or more accurately, they haven't beaten right. anybody. They haven't beaten anybody. Just they didn't play, but they haven't beaten yeah. anybody, and that's what and, Miami and, and, with, that's, and Dallas that's with ten wins why, apiece. That's that's why this Dallas Miami game is interesting. Somebody's got to win. Unless they could tie in theory, but there hasn't been a tie game played this year in the NFL. Somebody's got to win that game, but somebody's got to lose it and wear it for another week. Hey, you can't beat good teams. I was disappointed we didn't get that tie in the in the Minnesota. Raiders game a couple weeks back. I thought we were going to get the first 0-0 zero, like, zero since, zero, zero, you know, I don't know, the 30s or something. It's been a while. Well, it, <laughs> Almost. The, but the Broncos are the lone Rangers when it comes to weird scores. Yeah. That have never been. They'll score a gummy, as they say. Yeah. They right. seem they, to do they, one a year. They've never been uh, achieved before. <laughs> it's just They're great that They it. did it this year again. But uh, uh, the point I was making is you can say that about Dallas. You can say that about Miami. But look at San Francisco's schedule, and they've beaten everybody good <laughs> that they've had on their schedule. They beat Seattle twice. They beat uh, uh, they beat uh, uh, the Rams, they, uh, who are now eight and seven, and in and, playoff and position. And of course, they beat Philadelphia and they beat Dallas. Yeah. So they they, they beat everybody. I mean, at this point, played, who's any good? If San Francisco, and then they look at their strength of victory, it's a lot higher than well, Miami's. It, it and is, Dallas. but it's interesting because remember, uh, obviously, you know, when you're talking about teams that are playoff teams and by this time that the bad teams have sorted themselves out and the good yeah. teams have sorted themselves out for the most part so it's not uncommon that when you get the strength of victory uh and strength of schedule that even playoff teams have it to be relatively low because they're the good teams yeah. so that's that's not surprising the reason the bad teams are bad teams is they're losing right the, the strength of victory for the not uh, pardon me the, strength, the schedule for the niners is 503 which is not amazing it's not no. even as good as the rams for example no. their strength of victory is 484, still under 500. That's, that's a lot higher again, than Dallas's and Miami's. Yeah, but when you look at that, and I kind of, I do like to look at that. Kind of look at teams. That's my MVP argument for Purdy. That are down the hit, that are down the road, and look at teams that have actually had a strength of victory even yeah. over 500. Well, the Ravens are one. The Ravens have yeah. had a strength of schedule at 523, one of the very hardest in the league, and their strength of victory is 510. When you right. look at well, the, those, uh, are, those are the two, and that's why those two NFC, teams are eleven and three. They're the two best teams. There are no NFC teams in playoff positions with the strength of victory over five hundred. But one of the challenges for the Broncos is there are multiple in the AFC. Five ten for the Ravens, five oh four for Jacksonville, five twenty four for Cleveland, who Denver has beaten, yeah. and five thirty one. Think of that for the Bengals. 
The Bengals have had a strength of schedule this year of 563. That is the hardest in the league. The hardest. Joe Burrow was one, not healthy, and then two knocked out for the year. And this team is still eight and six. That's a dangerous football team that's extremely well coached. Well, what they've done um, at ESPN.com this week is give you playoff percentage chances or division chances or number one seed chances with a win and what it becomes with a loss. And since you just mentioned Cincinnati, Cincinnati's at Pittsburgh. Uh, that'll be one of the two games tomorrow on the NFL schedule, along with Buffalo at the Chargers, which isn't even worth watching. Uh, Buffalo being a 12-point favorite. Cincinnati wins at Pittsburgh. Playoff chances 56%. Lose 13%. Wow. Now, if you're wondering about the Broncos, we'll, we'll get it out right away. The Broncos, with a win, are at 32%. And with a loss, 3%. <laughs> you get the picture. Yeah. You get the picture. I mean, you, you gotta, they they you go gotta right back to where they were, more or less, when they were 1-5. If they lose this game. If they lose, if they this, lose game. this game. Yep, which it was and 3%. Yeah. even if they win, this speaks to how much help they need. Yeah. Even if they win, it's not even a 1-3 shot. It's mm-hmm. a barely more than 3-10 yeah. to make the playoffs, even if they win and it will on look- Sunday night. But there's a 29% gap right between 32 percent and three percent and that's why you look at it with this week necessarily look you have to win and that's why i said the playoffs start now because uh, if you look at it this week you're right even with the win it doesn't look that good it's the idea that you finish the season winning all three and then the numbers start to maybe break your way but one week at a time uh, you're just moving up incrementally and hoping for a little luck and that's why for the broncos they have to win them all. Now, they can't focus on that. They have to focus on being the Patriots first and foremost, and then you deal with the rest. On the bright side, uh, the Patriots' offense uh, is not its not bad, and I don't mean that often when I say it's not bad. I'm about to compliment them. No, I mean it's abysmal. It's embarrassing. It's terrible. They can't it's worse move the football. And against the Broncos' defense, that with the exception of the Lions game, has looked relatively solid, and that includes the loss in which they, they lost to Houston. Uh, they've looked from, I would say, great to good to at least average, with the one exception being the Lions game. It should be on its own merits far, far too much for the Patriots to overcome in Denver on Sunday night. Put the Patriots aside for just a second. Playing three straight road games was hard enough, especially in December. Hardly ever happens, right, to anybody. They have three straight December road games. For the Broncos, it wasn't just, and we should have pointed this out with more emphasis at the time, it wasn't just three straight on the road. It was three straight on the road in 13 days. What follows a short week in the NFL? A long week. Yep. What follows a short week in the NFL on the road? Almost all the time, a long week with a home game. Mm-hmm. Usually. So as tired as the Broncos have been yeah, three and days I in 13 days, heard that word all week, especially applied to 
the defense. And I've heard it from people I've got respect for. The latest was Jeff Legwald, who made that point about the defense the other day and also more ominously said this may be cumulative from the defense having carried the offense for essentially the last 10 weeks, probably a little longer than that. And the weight of the defense carrying the offense, which hurt the Broncos in 2006, when their defense through the first half of that season, or most of the first half of that season, was historically good in terms of points allowed, people forget that. They simply, along with a career-ending injury to Al Wilson, collapsed in the final month, even though they put Jay Cutler in at quarterback and averaged eight more points per game than they had been with Jake Plummer. The damage had been done by the time Cutler entered the lineup, and the defense couldn't hold up in the last month of the season. And the Broncos, which proved to be the beginning of the end for Mike Shanahan, took pretty much a secure playoff spot that would have gone along with a 10-win season and turned it into 9-7 and because the defense just was exhausted and banged up and injured, and Wilson was out of the lineup. Al Wilson... I don't ever believe was necessarily a great player, as in Hall of Fame caliber, but right. uh, he belongs in the ring of excellent. Yes. Well, and, 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 and the situation, and did, of course, absolutely. you know, had his career gone a little longer, you know, who knows? But you're right. And, and fatigue is, uh, we think fatigue about Fatigue makes cowards of us all, said every sport. And it's cumulative. Uh, you know, we talk about the Rockies every year. The bullpen tends to, and then the bullpen breaks down every year because they're overtaxed. Exactly right. We've talked about how important it is for. Uh, Ivan Prosvetov to have a good year for the Avalanche because Alexander Georgiev looked fatigued at the end of the year and looked taxed. We talk about keeping Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray's minutes down as the Nuggets try to repeat. So they're fresh for the playoffs. In athletics, fatigue is cumulative. And there isn't a way to fix it except for the offseason. And yes, when you have a team that finds themselves on the field more than the other half, they're going to be more tired. Moreover... Defense is far more exhausting to play than offense because defense is a reactive As Rick position. Korea tells us you all don't the time. know what the other team is doing. The offensive players, uh, you know, I get it. It's not that it's not tiring in any direction, but think of it as simple as being a cornerback. Okay, you're covering a wide receiver. The wide receiver knows what his route is, so he's expending the proper amount of energy. Presuming you're doing that. Well, this has been scientifically proven. Right. This isn't a, just a speculation. A cornerback has to be ready to spring in every direction at every time and then read it. You're expending more energy to do something unpredictable than you are predictable. Right. And right. so the longer the right. defense tends right. to be, have to carry the weight, the more likely they are to break down. We we talked, and, and you remember in 2018 when the Broncos were 6-6 six and six, and they had just won a third straight game in Cincinnati. Chris Harris Jr. comes out of that game injured. He's done for the year. Emmanuel Sanders comes out of that game, or perhaps in practice a couple days later. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's out for the year. Right. <laughs> there goes your three-game winning streak. You lose Harris, who at the time might have been your best defensive player, and you lose Sanders, who at the time might have been your best offensive player. For the final four games, Vance Joseph was the head coach. They were the final four games he coached in Denver, and the Broncos lost them all. Now, the Broncos don't have that issue except maybe a little bit with Nick Benito this time. But they go from playing a third game in 13 days all on the road against 
probably the second fastest team they played all year next to Miami. They go from that to a long week and a home game that involves no travel playing, I would dare say, the slowest, least athletic offense in the National Football League and an historically bad offense when it comes to point production and many other facets of offensive football. They are brutally bad. And here's the other thing, and I've noticed this a little bit with the Blackhawks and Avalanche. When the Blackhawks are winning whatever it was, three Stanley Cups in five or six years, Mm -hmm. I think it was three and six, the Avalanche weren't very good for most of that time. Fair to say, yes. Okay. Yes. The Avalanche gave the Blackhawks fits Mm -hmm. here in Denver and in Chicago. Now that the Blackhawks stink and the Avalanche are real good, just, what, a year and a half removed Mm -hmm. from their most recent Stanley Cup victory? Yep. Blackhawks give the Avalanche fits. Yeah. Beat them the other night in Chicago. Um, You're 100% right. So it's weird how these things turn. But for the most part, when the Patriots have played the Broncos in the Bill Belichick coaching era in Foxborough, Mm -hmm. the Patriots have had better teams. Not always, not always, but all the more reason the last few years notwithstanding to look at Bill Belichick's record and say, not many teams have a winning record over Bill Belichick. Right. The Broncos are 14 and 10 against Bill Belichick. Before you go go any further, before you go any further, John Payton has already made it clear that whatever the Broncos' history was before he got there has no bearing on anything, and he doesn't really care about well, it. Well, so their recent history against the Patriots is not great, although we mentioned the other day that 18-12 to 12 game in 2020 in which the Broncos won in Foxborough by kicking six field goals mm-hmm. against Cam Newton's Patriots, who, in spite of the 12 points suggesting four field goals, it was not the way it turned out. The right. Patriots did score a touchdown. In that game, the Broncos won the game by six without scoring a touchdown, which is uh, hard to hard do, to do. But hard to do, done. but yep. but they did it. Uh, for the most part, though, recently, uh, certainly during the Brady years, uh, even when the Patriots weren't winning Super Bowls, they were beating up on the Broncos. And in the postseason, the Broncos lost in Foxborough in Tim Tebow's last game as a Denver Bronco, but they won two AFC championships in three years here in Denver over the Patriots, 2013, and by a much closer margin in 2015, their last championship season. So it's been an interesting rivalry. Both teams have won big games against the other, but I mentioned that history making defensive start in 2006. One of those games was a game in Foxborough and the Broncos had beaten the Patriots in the playoffs the year before and had beaten them during the regular season. They go into Foxborough, and you're thinking, Patriots are still Super Bowl favorites or co-favorites, right? And Broncos beat the tar out of them. And it was at, I, did, I was going to say at that point that Bill Belichick really understood that the only team, because Indianapolis really hadn't beaten them in a key game at that point, the only team he really had to worry about was a team outside his own division, and that was Denver. But I think he had respected Mike Shanahan for years and years and maybe even a decade before that. But 
I remember that game. The Broncos did not play very well offensively, but it was as good a game as they ever played in the regular season against Tom Brady. The best game they ever played against Tom Brady was the AFC Championship game in 2015. Right. Well, on the bright side, they don't have to worry about Tom Brady. They have to worry about Bailey Zappi. That's a very (laughs) different set of circumstances. But we will talk about what the concerns are for the Broncos because, look, uh, as Herman Edwards once said, that's why they play the games and you can lose any given Sunday. Take all your NFL cliches. How could it go sideways for the Broncos? What do they need to guard against? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. For the Denver Broncos, the New England Patriots again, uh, they, the Broncos will be the only show in town if you like NFL football like they were last week against the Lions. They'll be it. On Sunday night, as it stands right now, the Broncos five and a half point favorites. The over-under... That's gone down. It has. The over-under 36 and a half. All right, t- pardon me. Correct. I've correct me wrong. It's gone up. Started at minus five and a half. It is now seven. A full touchdown oh, for okay. the Broncos. Because it was six and a half. When but I the left points left. have gone down. Opened it at well, 36 yeah, I, and a half. That I believe. And now we're at 34 and a half, which shows you that these offenses do not have a lot of punch. But if you get the idea of what people feel about the Broncos' chances of winning, because, you know, whatever. That's the concern. Win. Win by one. Win by 20. Win. Minus 330, so a heavy favorite. The expectations are the Broncos won't have too many issues. The Broncos, as as you pointed out, Sandy, against Bill Belichick, they could do something that's never been done before to Belichick, get him to 12 losses in a year. Yeah, that's never happened. And everything looks like it's going their way, even though the Broncos are not juggernauts. That said, they lost to the Raiders at home. The Raiders are terrible. They lost to the Commanders at home. The Broncos have lost games this year to with the Jets this at team, home. with this coaching and staff. And the Jets can't with, score either. How can things go sideways for the Broncos? Do those losses have something in common that the Broncos need to guard for? You know how conservative the Broncos have been with Russell Wilson and or how conservative Wilson has been just as a matter of facing reality and realizing that The first step in winning is not beating yourself first. Let the other guys do that. And you've talked about this. uh, Four of the eight interceptions came within about a 20-minute game time period, the last 16 minutes of the game in Houston, and the first play in Los Angeles against the Chargers where he got picked off, and it really wasn't his fault because Mims lost control of the ball and it was technically an interception, but it shouldn't have. But anyway, four of the eight interceptions came within a 20-minute game span of time. So eight interceptions looks like kind of middle of the pack in terms of interception rate. But if you break it down that way, you see that for a vast majority of the season, he's limited mistakes. That's, for me, the key to this game. We've talked about games 
like the one last week where they probably against a Detroit team had to open it up and be a little better throwing the ball. This is not one of those games. This is one of those games where if you have zero turnovers, you're almost certain to win because the only way they can score is if you set them up on short fields. Now, their defense can be disruptive in certain instances. Uh, They have a defensive tackle by the name of Christian Barmore who had six tackles, including two tackles for loss and a sack last week. He has tackles for losses in four of the past five. And he is going for a fourth straight game on the road with at least half a sack. He could be a problem. But he's an inside player, and you would think the Broncos would be able to double-team him more easily as a result. Playing would hope, right? in the middle that he wouldn't wreck the game from that position. But uh, they have some good players on the defensive side of the ball. On offense, um, I'm looking, and I'm looking, <laughs> and I'm looking. And Ezekiel Elliott used to be real good, and he's had 90 or more scrimmage yards and two to pass. Yeah, he hasn't games. been bad, but but, but he's but not, he isn't the guy we remember from four or five years ago. That you remember that the no. guy that could break games open at any point in time. He's not that guy anymore. And Juju Smith Schuster has a reputation that far exceeds that far exceeds his production. Um, Devontae Parker, same thing. Rep is greater than what he actually produces. Uh, Hunter Henry had a decent game last week, seven catches for 66 yards against Kansas City, and he's caught six passes this year for touchdowns. Uh, He's had two games in a row now with a a touchdown reception. These are pretty modest, (laughs) but I'm trying to come up with something here. Uh, But they're they're bad. They're just real bad. The New England offense is averaging 13.3 points per game. They're averaging 285.3 yards per game. We think the Broncos are bad on offense. The Broncos are averaging 299.8. Now, that's bad. That's bad. Because it's not 300 yards. Right. 300 yards is the demarcation point between decent and bad. Yeah. Yeah, right. 299.8 compared to 285.3 for New England. The Bronco offense looks like a juggernaut. New England passes, get this, for 100 86.9 86.9 yards per game, but the Broncos are at 187.1. The main difference is the Broncos can run on offense and uh, can Patriots, they though? And, and, and this uh, is better than the Patriots. Okay, and the 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 passing yardage, yes, because this is where I roughly. see the issue. The Patriots' uh, rushing defense—they're only allowing 3.2 yards a carry. That is not yes. only that is that not is only good. the best. Now let's be oh. fair. When you when you only give, score thirteen points a game, we've talked. You and I have talked about this about uh, past uh, seasons. Broncos you get used to when playing you the know run. They can't <laughs> score, right? You, you're gonna run. You're gonna and run. You don't really care if you get three yards or four yards, right? But the the numbers are what they are. The Patriots a uh, three point two per per carry is what they're allowing. That's not only the best in the NFL. It would be the best in the NFL in almost a decade. The 2014 Detroit Lions is how far you'd have to go back to find a team with a better opposing uh, guards per carry. Yes, yards per carry. And and they're number two in uh, rushing defense. Number two in terms of yards. Which which is remarkable because teams actually run against them a lot. Right. 
Right, but but I'm saying the yards right. per carry, your it's stat the best in almost a decade, is, is more valuable, and it's it's and not, more indicative than total yards rushing given up, and or it doesn't total flow, uh, flow and ebb. This is a a team that the last three opponents have not had even three yards a carry. Here, that's a concern for a Denver Broncos offense that we've talked about this right. week. We've talked about it all season, Sandy. But the the truth of the matter is, this is a team that is not efficient on the ground. Now, you could argue the effectiveness, I guess, in different ways, but Javante Williams is averaging 3.7 a carry. Uh, Samaja Pirine only has 45 carries. It's been good, 4.9. But their most consistent rushing weapon is Russell Wilson, who's 35 years old and your quarterback. So this is a Broncos team that doesn't run the football well, facing a team that stops the running better than anybody in the league this Broncos team is going to have to put get the ball in the air and move it in order to win this game on if Sunday night. You play fantasy though. <laughs> From what I hear, okay, it's a bad idea to take Wilson this week. It's a bad idea to take Sutton this week, and it's oh, a I bad would, idea to take Jordan Judy. This touch week. any Broncos or Patriots this week? Not okay. one. You might take the team now, defenses. There's now, not a lot of points are going to be scored. Here's what's really important to understand: What is Bill Belichick? Famous for as a defensive guru, he is famous for taking your your strength. Your favorite weapon gets taken away. Who's Denver's favorite weapon? Who's going to get double teamed? Garland Sutton, just like he did against Detroit. So, just put put all that together. What we've just described: Patriots number two in the NFL in rushing defense, number one and number one going back. About a decade, right? In yards allowed per rushing attempt. You stick that out there and you bring together the idea that Sutton's going to be doubled all night. What the hell does Denver do? And my response would be just don't screw things up. Just don't make mistakes because total yardage will be hard to come by. The New England defense gives up, and this is with a terrible offense, 308.3 yards per game. The Denver defense, and a lot of this is from the early season, 382.4 yards per game. They have a good defense. Rushing yards per game, 84.9 for the New England Patriots. That's all they give up. So you're not going to beat them by running for big numbers against them. Just don't fumble and don't especially throw picks or take sacks. Avoid avoid negative plays. It doesn't mean you're going to average probably more than five yards per play, maybe five and a half, five to five and a half yards per play would be optimal. But if that figure comes at the expense of turning the ball over once or twice, you're in a low-scoring game, you're keeping the Patriots in the game. You're keeping the Patriots in the game. So you cannot uh, make mistakes. And, uh, you know, New England is, in terms of rushing the passer, uh, not great. The Broncos have 36 sacks. The Patriots have 29. Um, but here's the key, and this is why I say don't make mistakes. The Broncos for the year, turnover differential, plus five. Right. Patriots for the year, turnover differential, minus Eight. Just saying. 
Well, you win the turnover battle in this game, and I think it's a tough it's a tough game to impossible lose, quite frankly, to lose. if you're the Broncos. Almost it really impossible. becomes very, very difficult. And you brought now, up the Now, concern. the only other thing that could change that is a special teams big play by New right. England. But here's the thing. New England's been at or near the bottom of the league on special teams all year. People talk about the offense as being bad, and it is. It's worse than bad, as you suggested. Special teams, and this is crazy for a Belichick team. Belichick is the greatest special teams coach of all time, in my opinion, and one of the great defensive coaches and one of the great head coaches. But I think he is without peer when it comes to special teams I'm coaches. I'm looking over at and John special Harbaugh, teams but I get coaches. you. Nah, he's better. He's better. Uh, it, it, he's, it, I mean, guys like Harbaugh learn from Belichick about special teams coaching. He is the, the best historian ever on special teams. And you have to remember, too, the special teams coaches only came on the scene within, I don't know, last 55 years. But you're not you're not wrong. This is a team that only has uh, the, their long kickoff return is 43 yards. Now, you don't want to give that up for sure. Their long punt return is 25 yards. They have not been explosive in the return game. And the the. Denver's been better, but the that's my point. game has been pedestrian. Denver's been a top all five around. team on special mm-hmm. teams all year long, thanks to two people, Mims and Lutz. Yes. Who, after a, a, an initial bit of uh, uh, maybe a little bit of unsteadiness, has been exactly what the Broncos had hoped for. So, yeah, and, and it feels like, quite frankly, given this game, Sandy, and it may be snowing in Denver on Sunday night, not heavy, but there may be snow falling. That would not be unusual for a Patriot Bronco game in be, Denver, uh, where I can the, remember any number of instances down through the years when the Patriots have come in here. Usually, it's late in the season, mm-hmm. and it is snowing. Well, it would be great for the Chamber of Commerce. I know that they love that. Denver, Denver, as we watch the the literal cash flow into Colorado when on a primetime football game it is snowing, and as Russell Wilson pointed out, snow really isn't an issue; it's wind. But right. he's right. Kickers will say that it's a little different, though. The snow can be an issue. And so this feels like a game in which uh, Will Lutz may end up being the difference maker. But Wilson doesn't even hold for kicks. So no, he wouldn't care not his concern. But, uh, but it does feel like one of these games that uh, Lutz is going to play a big role in it. And I think that, that Lutz has been reliable. I think that's a good fit. For the Broncos, this is all kind of trending their way. Sandy hit it on the head. You just can't give them the game. You just can't give it to them. Whether it's it's poor play calling, you can't convert them third downs, whether it's a turnover, whether it's a big special teams play. If you avoid making mistakes, even with your offense as pedestrian as it is, the Broncos will win this game handily. They just can't make the kind of mistakes that have doomed them earlier in the season. We'll talk more about this with Justin Adams of CBS News Colorado in just a little bit, but we turn our attention to the Colorado Avalanche where, look, Nathan McKinnon has been hot. There's... There's hot, there's red hot, there's white hot, and there's whatever Nathan McKinnon is. Four goals last night. We'll talk about the Avs next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Ranton and Saucer pass up by McCarr. Nathan McKinnon in the bumper for Drew and he scores! The Mac attack is back, Jack! 
Nachushkin will get there. Nachushkin back in front. McKinnon! He scores! For the 300th time in his career! Back to his feet. Nice play by Val. Near side, McKinnon fakes the one-timer. Now he lets it go! He scores! Through the chapel! Nathan McKinnon! As Nachushkin chops it down the wall. McKinnon, is he going to get to it? He is! McKinnon with an open net! McKinnon with four goals! He's never done it before! But now, he's got four! Somebody check on poor uh, Connor McGahey there. Might Great be calls. A cough drop. Great Thank stuff, you. as always, by Connor, who uh, uh, at times, and I've known Connor for a long time, and uh, well, and it's... Uh, we, we've on, honestly joked. I'm not as I'm not as good in the shouting or clever enough with the puns. But if we just went for the average thing and you slid him in and we just in our normal speaking voice, we could probably get away with it. The little Freaky Friday thing for maybe you know 30 minutes or so before someone figured it out because uh, there's some similarity there. It's not it's not great when they're in the same room. Nobody knows who's talking because we end up sounding pretty much the same. But uh, McGee there on the on the terrific calls from. Uh, Altitude Radio last night. McKinnon, obviously electric. Uh, nine shots, four goals, an assist. Moving to within shouting distance of Nikita Kucherov for the right. league lead in points with 57. Uh, McKinnon does uh, already lead the league in assists. That assist last night moved him past Kucherov. 35 assists all alone atop the NHL. And as you put it, uh, last week, because now we're in, what, 17-game point streak? 17-game point streak. Uh, and it's easier to say what games he hasn't scored in yeah. this year. And by the way, the answer to that, uh, the Avalanche, by the way, are 20-11-2. Yes. So uh, help me on my math. That is uh, well, a lot of games, right? 33 games? So his point streak has lasted for more than half the season to date. And in 33 games, he's only been held off the score sheet. Twice. 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 I mean, we're talking zero, zero, about... Zero. An absolutely bonkers year, and as you've put it too, uh, you know I get it. With the Kucherov, the Hart Trophy, yeah, throw the stats out. Hart Trophy, most valuable player as it stands today, it's yeah. Nathan McKinnon, and I don't think it's all that close. No, it's not close. He has been metronome stable for the Avalanche at times when they have needed him to be. And last night, they needed him. We talked about this. The Avs are a little discombobulated. They ended up giving up four to the Senators, but McKinnon is more than enough to get it done. Uh, the Senators were game. It's not as if Georgiev was bad. He had a save percentage of 9-11 uh, well, last the, night. The, the, the Avs were outshot 45-39. to 39, Right. Largely because in the last eight minutes of the game, the Senators had three power plays. Yes, and they went to pour it on. Uh, Nachushkin, who has been playing very well himself with three assists on those goals. Yep. Rantanen, by the way, with another pair of assists. Duran with one of those assists on the power play. And oh, wait a minute. Two goals for Rantanen. Two goals for Randon. Yes. Yeah. Pardon me. Two no goals assist. for Randon. Uh, no assist. Two assist points. for Duran. And welcome back, one Kale McCarr. Yeah. Two assists on the night. Here's, once again, I, I don't know why I'm on this good news, bad news kick this week, but it, it just seems to be falling that way. So it's balanced. This is good news. But what was the best news of the night? The, the, the McCar- top line McCar- was returning unbelievable. To and for Jared Bednar, who chooses his words carefully and is not given to overstatement to say McKinnon is quote unquote playing out of his mind right now. I've never heard Jared Bednar use that phrase before. Right. I, I don't think privately or publicly he is given to such uh, superlatives, but it certainly applies. And it fact might be understating it. If there's anything beyond playing out of your mind, 
being in the zone sort of on some kind of astral plane, yeah, highest I don't even know how that works. level in a different galaxy. That that's where McKinnon uh, is. Ten right points now. for that top line last night. Well, it, that this is <laughs> part of my point. I mean, that's whoa. great news, right? What did people keep talking about in the playoffs? If it wasn't McKinnon, if it wasn't Rantanen. Yep. If it wasn't Taves, production if it wasn't Makar, secondary scoring. There not only was no goal scoring production, nope. there was no playmaking. There was no nope. nothing. Nada. No. Nope. Here's the bad news: thirteen points for those top five: Nashushkin, McKinnon, mm-hmm. Rantanen, Taves, and Makar. For the other thirteen skaters, one point, and that was the assist by Druen. And you heard Connor describe power it. play, right? Of which he's on the top power play line. But power play, five-on-five, shorthanded, one point from 13 skaters against the Ottawa Senators who give up goals by the basketful. And and the one point is from a guy, by the way, that was considered a reclamation project. And was playing on the third line last night with Johansson and Myers. And still only scored on the ice with the other top-line guys. That, so, that, I mean, that's correct. if you so, want to look at the top-line guys, if the guys that were on no, the lines... And, and, and I'm fine with Duran's game. I, yeah. I'm, and, and you are, too. But, I mean, and it's, we, we've been talking about that for a nobody. good part of the season. But nobody. If you're not on the ice with McKinnon, nobody scored. Now, do, do, do nobody. I, listen, Logan Yikes. O'Connor gives it everything he's got on most nights, and he was the last person that Devontae was talking about the other night when he talked about players lacking self-awareness, think they were playing well when they weren't, and all that. Which, by the way, is now showing up in every oh. game story, every yeah. column about the Avalanche. The words of Devon Taves, which may remember, I think it was the Stanley Cup year when Renton went off early in the season. Mm-hmm. This is like that. It's had that kind and, of and impact. Jared Bednar was asked about it yesterday, and his his and part of his exact answer: wrong. he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, and uh, it's not maybe something a coach can say, or if he says it once. In the season, he can't say it again <laughs> because then he said that players just shrug it off. He's always saying we don't try. But with the exception of O'Connor and Druen, who I thought played well last night, and their ice time reflected it, Druen 15-11, played almost five minutes more than his linemate, Johansson, and Ben Myers was out there for five minutes, 52 seconds as the third line left wing. O'Connor played 18-37. So he was okay. But how about this? Your second-line center, Ross Colton, played 10 minutes, 24 seconds. Your third-line center played 10 minutes and 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's, that's minimal ice time. Minimal. That's brutal. You're barely cracking double it's, digits. It's just a joke. And, uh, you know, Olofsson on the fourth line, centering, 9.04. McDermott, left wing, 3.08. Kibi Ranta, right wing, 10.28. But... Uh, <laughs> Of the other 13 people on on the ice, and, you know, Byram, Manson were okay, uh, didn't score or set up anything. Johansson, Malinsky, Johnson played 14.01. Malinsky played 11 minutes. I'm looking at this, and I'm saying out of the other 13 skaters, two played pretty well. Druen and O'Connor, and the others were invisible. And I'm That's not, not going to try invisible. to pile on, but you look at Olofsson, who they added with 
uh, you know, kind of as a, as a low level guy, you, you look at a, a Myers who's a prospect and I, I get that. And we'll set Myers aside because he's kind of in baseball. They would have called him a four a player, a little yeah, too good for triple right. a, not yeah. good enough for the bigs. I think Myers is that kind of guy at the NHL level, but, but Kivaranta and all of a sudden are kind of depth guys that yeah. bounce around from year to year and from team to team and off. from team to team. But I look at those two. I look at the numbers, and I know that that Johansson, you know, came out off the injury, and he's a veteran. I get that. But I look at Johansson, and I look at Colton. The guy should be entering his prime, and those two guys can barely crack ten, 10 minutes. Minutes. Are you That's a problem. Me? I mean, when 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 Kivaranta is getting more, more ice, ice time, time than Colton and Johansson. Yep. That says less about Kivaranta because we're not even talking about 11 minutes on the ice, but it says a lot, volumes, about Colton and Johansson. And Bednar is one of the great things about Jared Bednar, and there are many. Unfortunately, probably never win a Jack Adams because the avalanche is so stacked, he never gets the credit for right. it. But he's a Jack Adams caliber coach. And part of the reason he's a Jack Adams caliber coach is because you know as a player where you stand because the coach's hammer is minutes. And Just like an NBA coach. That's exactly that's and the so only hammer. You want to know have what a coach days. thinks about you? Look at your time on ice or your time on the court. Yep. That's where you stand. Because in the end, that's what it boils down to. And right now, Colton and Johansson, two veteran guys. Colton scored a game winner on a, a Stanley Cup yep. finals game winner. Right. These guys are playing fewer minutes. Than a guy that grabbed off the scrap heap. Kivaranta yeah. was just available after yeah. the season started. Nobody else wanted him. He's playing. I know it's in seconds, but it, in theory, it shouldn't be close. Right. These should. These minutes should not be close. Right. I mean, they're cold and Kivaranta's not on the power play, and he's not killing. I penalties. like Logan O'Connor too. Logan O'Connor is getting almost double the ice time of Ross Colton and Ryan Johansson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that is that is and you know the way the pyramid gets built with the big, big thick wide part on the foundation. This one's getting flipped, correct? And me, it's not supposed to be that way. Correct me if I'm wrong. First game of the year in Los Angeles, on the fourth line, and maybe it wasn't the first game, but it was early because I can't remember. Was Cagliano hurt at the beginning of the year? Uh, he was. He missed one game. He, was, he missed yeah. the missed the opener with Chicago, right? Yeah, the home yeah. opener. It was, uh, it was but, minor, but, anyway, but yeah, he was dinged up. Earlier in the year, very early in the season, Cogliano is your fourth-line left wing. He's hurt now, not playing. Your fourth-line right wing was O'Connor. Your fourth-line right wing now is Kiviranta. Your second-line right wing is O'Connor. Now, I love Logan O'Connor, but he's not out there to score goals. He's out there to kill penalties and play a sound defensive five-on-five game. That's why he's out there. He's right. a checker. He's a terrific penalty killer. Uh, I, I and love as much as as much their as their first like penalty him. killing unit with, you know, O'Connor on and championship teams. I, I love that. And then this is penalties. we're talking about but things. He's not we, a we second like him. line right on, cha- yeah, on championship teams. He is a third line guy at best, if not a fourth. And I, I, I I'm saying he's a fourth line guy who can play more minutes than fourth line yes. forwards normally But ideally, play. that's where he should be. And the Avalanche can't afford it. And that's a problem. And they've got to find a way to get this right. Now, they get the win. Nathan McKinnon has... And with Miko, I'm not knocking the other guys. Randon and Achushkin have both been very, very good. Uh, 
as I talked about, well, no, they're fine. A couple oh, of weeks ago, the, the best way to get the best version of, of Nachushkin is to leave him on that top line, and I think that's clearly been borne out. Uh, even with because the, the other two guys force him to raise his game raise and play well, his game and raise his play game his to game a level that he's perfectly capable of. But right. yeah, but no, no, no minutes where you're coasting, no, no shifts, and it turns out when Nachushkin plays like that, he's. Really, really good. He's a borderline all-star player. He just happens to sort of need those kind of of guys. But, uh, but you got to go beyond five guys. This top to line get your scoring has to carry them further than this. They, I mean, it, you have to get these guys some help here. And it, it, the concern. You hit it on the head. We're talking about the Seattle series last year, in which they were eliminated. That was the criticism. It's happening again. It is, and, and it's happening. Why? And you know what? It happened in the. It happened after it, against Vegas a couple years prior, where Bednar had fell. He had to switch up the lines, and he probably didn't. He's too still much, doing it, but it was He's out of desperation, moving right. guys in the playoffs, switching lines. This is a one-line team, and what's frustrating is I think a year ago, we kind of knew that talent-wise, we kind of knew it. JT Comfort was nice, but I mean, we knew it, especially with the injuries this year. You looked on paper and you're like, hey, they got some lines here. And it's not panning out. And that's now, a problem. I, you know, I know they miss Lekkonen. And Lekkonen and he's, would he'd be a major part of the puzzle. Yeah. The second line gets reinforced but Ben Myers on your third line? Ben Myers when doesn't he's barely even belong a major at the NHL league player. level. Right. He's barely a major league player. I, 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 I don't. I don't think he is an He's NHL your emergency call-up guy. Yeah, that's what if, he is. If you have a ton of injuries, he's a guy you can call up. He's your emergency call up but, guy. Uh, you know, McDermott plays four or five shifts when he plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, Myers didn't play more than four or five shifts last night. Now, that was about doing four, five, six, maybe uh, five minutes, fifty-two seconds of total ice time. You, just bringing Lekkonen back. Okay, you can stick him on a second line. Who the hell is he going to play with? Right. Uh, I mean, who, who, who's a player of his I get caliber? It. The Avs are tied ahead. Uh, they're tied with the Stars in points on, on, on in the Central. I yeah. get it. So they're but conceivably solid playoff percentage, position. Right. They're number eight in the league. They're also that's only not four good. ahead of not the Predators. They're only six ahead of the Coyotes. They're the, 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 the ground below them is shakier than it looks. And if the Avs don't start figuring it out, they might find themselves in trouble, as uh, Yogi Berra would once say, uh, it gets late early around here. Yeah. They have to start figuring it out. The Avalanche, a good win last night. Nathan McKinnon did the job. But you've got to get more. They will be back at it tomorrow against the Coyotes at Ball Arena. Hopefully, and Now, this is what they call an extended home and home because they play on the 23rd and the 27th. The NHL doesn't do Christmas. Right. And roster freezes are in effect. No trades, yeah. no anything like right. that. So everyone gets some uh, consistency on knowing what to do with their families. One of the things the NHL does really, really well. The Denver Broncos, of course, like I've said it before, yeah, look, it's playoffs time. It's playoff time for them. Win or go home. We'll talk about it with our friend Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado on My Life Sports next. 